0: You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are sharing with you conversations with five spiritual entrepreneurs who were awarded the 2021 Tom Locke Innovative Leader Award from the Wesleyan Investive. For more information, visit award.wesleyaninvestive.org. Welcome to our series on the 2021 Locke Innovative Leader Award. I'm Lisa Greenwood, Vice President of Leadership Ministry for the Wesleyan Investive, as well as the Texas Methodist Foundation. Joining me as our co-host for this series is Casper Turkile. Casper is one of the founders of Sacred Design Lab, which is a soul-centered research and development lab devoted to designing spiritual well-being for the 21st century. You can learn more about Sacred Design Lab on their website at sacred.design, and it's worth spending a little time there. They are really doing some meaningful work for the season we're in right now. We knew Casper would be the perfect person to co-host this podcast because he is dedicating his life to the intersection of innovation and spirituality. He's a Ministry Innovation Fellow at Harvard Divinity School where he earned a Master of Divinity and Public Policy. And he has spent the last six years as co-host of the popular podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And during the pandemic, Casper released his book, The Power of Ritual, which ended up being so timely as we're all trying to find our center and make sense out of the chaos that is in our world. Casper is a dear friend to me personally, as well as to the Wesleyan Investive and TMF, and continues to be a great source of wisdom, connection, and inspiration. Welcome, Casper. Thank you for being part of this adventure.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Lisa. Thank you very, very much for, for having me co-host this and for meeting these fabulous award winners and, uh, and figuring out what it all means for us. I'm so excited.
0: Right. So am I. So am I. So this episode will be different than the other five because we want to spend a little time talking about the landscape of spiritual innovation before we have conversations with each of these award recipients. And we also want to be sure that everyone gets to know Tom Locke, president of Wesleyan Investive and TMF, and the namesake for the Tom Locke Innovative Leader Award. So we get to spend some time with him in this episode. So Casper, for those who don't know you. Tell us a little bit about your story and and one of the ways that I put this with uh, each of the recipients is, okay, we know story is a big topic. So uh, tell us some of the significant moments of your life that has led you to this point.
1: So I grew up in England, uh, but both my parents are Dutch and obviously I've ended up here in America. So (laughs) it's always been been a story of, of crossing some boundaries. Um, But I grew up in a really non-religious home. You know, England has such a different religious culture than America. Only about 6% of people go to worship on a Sunday. So I didn't know anyone who went to church. I didn't know anyone who talked about God or, or Jesus. Like, it was completely absent. And certainly when I came out as a teenager, I remember feeling like, you know, institutional religion was either irrelevant or cruel. And it was completely absent from my life. But as I became more involved in activism, I was really passionate about climate change as a young person. As I became more active, I realized that the leaders in history and the the leaders who I was meeting, who I respected most, all had this spiritual thing going on that I was both confused by and a little intimidated by. And that really was the beginning of a journey for me that led to divinity school in the end and a real understanding that the things that I had always been doing You know, bringing people together to take social action together, getting groups to sing together before the meeting, uh, Mm -hmm. wanting people to sit around a table and share a meal and talked about what was really going on in our lives. That, by the way, that was religious work. I just didn't know to call it ministry. (laughs) Um, And so for me, Divinity School was really like coming home to a tradition and, and maybe traditions that I didn't know that I was an inheritor of. Um, And and that was turned up to full volume 10 when I was invited by you way back in 2015 to come to Texas and to share a little bit of of my research with my partner, Angie Thurston, my my classmate at the time at Harvard Divinity School and, and my colleague now. To share some of the research of what we've been finding when we looked at the secular world and looked at fitness communities and creative arts groups and uh, even uh, kind of online groups and looked at the ways in which they really resonated with a traditional congregational model. That they were secular spaces, but doing sacred things, right? People getting married and having funerals, people mourning losses together, people uh, figuring out how to take action in their local community together on issues that were important to them, finding pastoral care, you know. From, from their gym instructor. And so when you invited us to come and share those stories, I remember being kind of bewildered uh, because <laughs> I couldn't have told you the difference between a Presbyterian and a Methodist. Um, but it was really the beginning of, for me at least, a uh, if, if I can use this bold language, a bit of a love affair with the Wesleyan <laughs> tradition because I saw how much wisdom and power and beauty was in this tradition and in these Wesleyan people that I was meeting that the folks that I cared for and I have a heart for, you know, th- those non-religious folks who who don't think about religion every day, that the things they were looking for is exactly what you had to offer. And, and frankly, also vice versa. And so, so much of my work is always kind of building bridges and walking between these two worlds of of the secular and the sacred. And uh, that's that's why I'm here and why I'm so passionate about the work that you're doing.
0: I love that. So you've hit on so many things that I, I, um, I want people to know about you, including this love affair with uh, the Wesleyan tradition. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And really this intersection with sacred and secular, and really that it, it occupies the same space. That's mm. really what you talk about and draw on and help us all to see and that feels so important. It feels so important. As you're doing this work, what are you seeing in the landscape?
1: Yeah, so often the story of the trends, and you know, we just had this latest Gallup poll with congregational membership below 50% for the first time. So so much, so often the story gets told as one of institutional decline, of of religious decline, of rising secularism. And from the beginning, my work has try to challenge that a little bit by saying we're only seeing half the story right if you're only looking at the decreasing numbers of people in the pews then it's going to look like decline but if you if you stretch your gaze beyond that you see the people looking for meaning purpose and and community in all sorts of new places and so really it's a story of transformation rather than decline that, that folks are still as hungry for for belonging, for experiences of, of spiritual growth and becoming, to feel connected to something beyond themselves, it, it just looks different. And so w- what we have to do is to be attuned to see where are people going to try and find it. And it raises all sorts of questions, right? What does it mean if someone's going to the workplace looking for not just mentorship in terms of how they can be better at their job, but a sense of how they can grow in their life? Um, What does it mean if people are turning towards justice movements to find experiences of healing and wholeness to to integrate justice and healing work together, especially when it comes to race and racism, for example? So I guess my work is, is, is trying to help us look at look at the sacred in the secular, um, and maybe to, to get rid of that distinction at all, I, I think so often it's actually a really unhelpful one. Because in my experience, you know, folks who are labeled as secular have plenty of, of sacred experiences or sacred longings. And to some extent, it's really learning how to talk in that language <laughs> that makes someone recognizable or not. So th- that's something I'm really passionate about and uh, you mentioned the podcast with, with Harry Potter that's been a, a really great example of making that real. You know, I, I've co-hosted this this project where we've read the Harry Potter books as if they were texts that had something to teach us, right? Not just entertainment or escape, but really that they were mirrors to look at our own lives through. Um, And and to think about hard questions about love and evil, about revenge and and honesty, right? All of these big, juicy questions that, that, that a book like that can help us ask. And specifically to practice ancient sacred reading practices, both from the Christian and the Jewish tradition, things like Lectio Divina, and and to teach these practices, which I think of as kind of spiritual technologies, to folks who would have never gone looking for, you know, teach me how to read sacredly, but boy, do they love Harry Potter. And, And that has led to not just a group of listeners who enjoy the same podcast, but uh, you know, hundreds of local groups of people getting together every week to do this practice together. Um, tens of thousands of dollars raised uh, to to um, you know fight for immigration justice and Black Lives Matter. And the thing that really touched me, Lisa, was when the pandemic hit. Completely separately, the the listeners themselves organized a mutual aid fund, and so that was the moment when I was like, "Wow, you know, this this is a religious community." it just looks completely different than what we're used to looking for. It speaks to me so much about what the promise is of religious community and of how traditions can change and innovate. And that, in fact, every tradition was once an innovation, you know, <laughs> um, that, that we can feel hopeful about what's coming. And and for me, these five leaders that we're honoring and that we're going to get to know in these conversations, you know, they're just another five people showing us a way forward.
0: I have chills when you tell the story about the podcast listeners. Mm. Oh my gosh, Casper, could you ever have imagined way back when you all started this, like ever have imagined that this would be a community with such deep convictions mm. and passion and and that it would mm. go beyond Harry Potter, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Isn't that what a religious tradition is
1: about? right totally i I remember saying at the beginning i was like you know because everyone thinks you're starting like a potterism religion and i was like no 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 that's not what we're doing but in a way you know the, the the potter books were an excuse for us to gather and and to commit to a practice and, and to commit ultimately to a community, you know, and I just said goodbye to that community after reading through right. all seven books. And you know what I did? I asked a minister, how do you say goodbye to a congregation to prepare for my kind of oh. farewell oh. note? And, and I learned so much as I have every time I ask questions like that you know, of people in in religious life and and in congregational life. How do I navigate this particular challenge? Or, um, you know, what happens when there's a crisis in the community? Or or, or what do I do when someone's been disappointed? Because of course, that, that happens everywhere. I read heights and Rotters, wesley and the people called methodists a couple of years ago um which you know apparently is is sometimes maligned as a bit of a snooze fest but i found it the most exciting <laughs> book that i'd read in years because for me what i saw was a group of people committing to each other and a set of disciplines a set of practices that that gave them uh, a sense of integrity and clarity about how to live and you know, the first theme that we read the very first chapter of the Potter books through was this theme of commitment. And Vanessa, my co-host and I said to each other, we're going to keep doing this, even if no one else joins us, because that in itself will be enough. We w- we want to do this because it's, it's the right thing for us to do. And uh, you know, I don't want to compare hosting a podcast with visiting people in prison, but it, n- nonetheless, there was a sense of I don't know. I, I just felt an echo, um, you know, in 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 our little project with with that great founding story of uh, of the Wesleyan movement.
0: And I have to say that you are deeply Wesleyan because you have now itinerated. You have left the ministry of one place to move on to your next. Sent ministry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. And there's no horse riding involved. So that makes things a lot easier. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> yes, for the city boy in Brooklyn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Lisa, I want to turn the tables and ask you because, you know, unlike me, you were so deeply formed by the church and it's been such a presence in your life. And yet your capacity to imagine beyond what exists right now is so enthusing to me. And and you have this gift of finding language to describe it that makes it real. So you have this phrase about thinking about a, a mixed spiritual ecology that includes congregations that we know and love now, but but goes way beyond that. And I, I wonder if you can just tell us the story about how did you start to see that? How did you find that language? Uh, what does it mean for you now?
0: The language of ecosystem really came from From Bishop Janice Huey, Mm -hmm. who is uh, now my colleague in our work, um, but at the time was serving as bishop in the Texas Annual Conference and wrote a paper and used that that language, which is is very much a part of her growing up, um, being close to the land. And and so Mm -hmm. it's it's language that is kind of in her DNA. Um, But if you think about ecosystems, we need the biodiversity of an ecosystem to make it work, right? And so if an ecosystem is diminished of a certain kind of plant or animal and such that it affects the whole ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about the shifting that's happening in in the church and that you have already named where there is, is at least as much as, if not more, Thirst and quest for Mm. purpose and meaning and belonging and connection Mm. in in our world and the, the inherited church, the attractional model inherited church, you know, congregations are one way that we can reach people. But there are less and less people wanting to connect with that, right? So we need other ways, Our ecosystem of the spiritual landscape needs to have more biodiversity. We've put all our eggs in the basket of the Attractional Model Church, and now we need to diversify Mm. our means of connecting people with the gospel and with each other. And so Mm. we talk about a mixed ecology of church and and it's already happening, right? It's not just looking out to the future. It's already happening. We have attractional model churches and we have um, missional churches that that look different. Uh, They're more engaged in their communities. We have nonprofits that are disciple-making entities. Mm. We have non-traditional faith communities in uh, coffee shops and laundromats and online, right? Mm-hmm. To your example, and, and certainly we've seen that in the midst of the pandemic. And so there is a mixed ecology that's emerging.
1: What I love most about that frame, Lisa, is that it isn't a story that's moving us towards risk or, or to the unknown, but it's actually a story that's moving us towards health. Because that kind of biodiversity, It you know, when, when you have a healthy mixed ecology, you have a system that's resilient, that's able to withstand change that can flourish in different contexts. And that's what you and TMF and the Wesleyan Investive are, are helping us move towards. And that's, and that's what we're recognizing with these, with these award winners. I, I'm so curious when you were thinking about the award, I know, I know it's been an idea that's been brewing for a while. What did you know you were looking for when you decided to, to honor these folks?
0: When we were thinking about our work with uh, the Wesleyan Investive, we decided that we really wanted to, to try to help create an environment where spiritual entrepreneurship and innovation can flourish. We realized that the existing inherited church models don't exactly encourage innovation. We don't mm. quite know what to do with folks who don't fit in our current models. And so we felt like that if we could really create some ways to encourage leaders who were, mm. who were taking the risk, of, of doing things um, in, in new ways. And so we decided that one of the ways that we would do that is, is to actually find leaders who were doing it and tell their story and, mm. and honor them and recognize them so that they would be encouraged, but also so that others could see the kinds of things Mm. that they were doing, right? Mm. So this award, which has a cash prize, which is very cool, but also um, invites them into a cohort.
1: And not just any cash prize. I mean, 50 grand, like, I'd like to win that, please. I mean, this, (laughs) and I, I only say that number because I want all of us to know that the investment is real this this is a real commitment from from all of you into these leaders and as you said it's it's not just them but it's actually for all of us who 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 want to do the kind of things that they're doing to feel that sense of confidence and and if I can use that word as a blessing to step into that boldness
0: right we wanted it thanks for for saying that we we wanted it to be significant enough that that one it would make a difference for their lives and their families um but yeah. also that it would, it would say to them, you matter. And we know yeah. that you have made sacrifices by choosing this path instead of a more traditional path. And so uh, we wanted to invest in those leaders and and yeah. with no strings attached. Not you need to spin this in a certain way and then write a report, but rather this is yours and you have full agency Whether that's debt related or you want to take your family on a vacation you haven't been able to do or or you want to invest in an idea or or anything to give them full agency and to say you matter, we see you. We see you. Mm -hmm. And you're doing Mm -hmm. great work. So yes, it has a cash prize element and we've created a cohort with phenomenal facilitation Mm -hmm. and that they'll get to connect, network with each other and Learn from each other. And we think they'll be emboldened because they'll be with others who are are, are doing cool things. Yeah. So, you asked about like, what are we looking for? And we're looking for folks who've already proven themselves in the innovation space. We're looking for folks, frankly, who've positively impacted the Methodist ecosystem. So, we mm-hmm. really talked about that, you know, and we just decided this was our realm and that's when we know the best. And so, we're going to invest in it. And we also wanted people who were living out of their own. Spiritual faith, right? Mm. And so they're, they're living at the intersection of, of their own faith and individual and and communal transformation. We also, and we spend a lot of time on this one too, that we want to invest in people who are investing in communities and individuals who are not currently well Mm -hmm. resourced or reached by the church.
1: Well, Lisa, thanks again for having me co-host this wonderful set of conversations. I really hope that everyone listening will stay with us as we as we meet the five award winners, and you know they're going to be very honest about the beautiful parts of of what they've done, but also the hard parts. So this isn't just going to be a shiny, happy fest. We're we're really going to talk practically about the ins and outs of of innovation, the challenges that that one faces when when you step out into the unknown. So I, I know it's going to be a really fruitful and and inspiring set of conversations. But first, we want to bring you a a conversation with Tom Locke, who is the president of TMF and the Wesleyan Investive, and who has led the foundation for more than 30 years. Um, So he has a a deep love and knowledge, both of the institution of the church, but also a real vision for what the Wesleyan movement can become and is becoming. And for me, it's so exciting to to learn from Tom because he is always right at the edge of smart thinking uh, with smart people and really understands how to navigate this question of innovation within tradition.
0: Yeah. So uh, edge is a good word for him because I think Tom has this really great grasp and he talks about it. So listen for it, where he uh, talks about the work of an edge organization and and how the center and edge need each other Mm. and need each other to be strong.
1: Yeah. And he refers to this question of what would it be like if that has been such a theme for him and for you and the whole team, you know, over the decades that when you get the right people in the right room with the right question, like, what would it be like if dot, 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 anything is possible.
0: So good. So let's listen to our conversation with Tom. Hi, Tom. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks. The pleasure is mine.
0: So anyone who has been around you for any length of time knows that purpose drives you. And it certainly drives the work that we do at TMF and Wesleyan Investive. So will you talk a bit about how purpose came to be so central for you and and why it's so important for the church?
2: Well, yeah, thanks Thanks for the the kind words. I remember pretty plainly, pretty clearly, standing in the kitchen at TMF talking with Jim Turley and Gil Rendell's new book, Gil and Alice Mann's new book, Holy Conversations, had just come out. And Jim and I were talking about that that book and, and as it being a way to do a spiritually-based uh, form of strategic planning mm-hmm. around the questions of who are we, who is our neighbor, and what is God asking of us? And And it just came so clear to me, I'm sure through Jim's inspiration more than anything else, that, you know, that that was that was right. That was that was the place where we needed to be, that we had uh, TMF historically had been involved in providing uh, financial services and and helping churches have the, the tangible resources, the money, you know, the buildings, the places, the things. We had successfully moved into the world of leadership development at that point. And so we were, you know, we we thought successfully helping clergy develop leadership skills to help lead their congregations into fulfilling their potential. But we hadn't, you know, we hadn't really worked into the area of, of what do we do about congregational culture or even denominational culture in terms of that question of, what's the difference that we're trying to make here? You know, you could have all the money and the finest buildings in the world and you could have great clergy leadership, but if you have a culture within the congregation that is more about maintaining self-appointed preferences than they are about discerning and accomplishing God-appointed missions, then that leadership and those tangible resources just are not going to be put to good use. And so it, it, it just became, you know, so clear that this issue of purpose, again, both at the congregational level and at the denominational level, or frankly, for any unit you would want to care to describe, you know, was was where we needed to be invested. So that's basically how that came about.
1: Tom, it strikes me so much that, you know, from the outside looking in, as I am, you know, here you are, a man in the financial services field, uh, deeply committed to the church, you know, in, in so many ways, it looks like the ultimate kind of establishment figure. And yet here you are creating and making space for some of the most exciting and innovative work happening that I know of within the church. And I just wanna know where does that come from? Where does that vision come from or or that confidence to try something new? Can you tell us like, has that always been with you? Is that something that's really grown in the last couple of years in this role? But how how come you are that guy? I wanna know. (laughs)
2: Well, you know that's overly generous, Casper. But I'm I'm grateful. I'm just you know sorry my mom's not still around to be able to hear those kind words. <laughs> you know the the evolution for TMF, I think, and I can speak really more more clearly about that evolution for TMF than I can, you know, what may have been driving me personally. But the evolution for TMF really began when it occurred to us that we weren't so much a financial service provider as we were a ministry that happened to offer financial services.
1: Uh-huh.
2: There was something that, and, and you know, of course, the, the difference there is that when you define yourself, not by what you do, but define yourself by who you are, you know, what are your values? Again, back to that question of purpose. What's the desired outcome uh, that you're trying to create? It became just such a liberating mm. thing for us, concept for us to think of ourselves First of all, as a ministry, but that happened to offer financial services at that point, that was exclusively what we did, but we were about to move into the, into the realm of leadership development, I, I think. And so, but that concept was a very expansive concept. It opened the, it opened the doors and we were so fortunate to have a board that bought into this. Uh, and we were so fortunate to have a staff that bought into this and, 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 Following closely behind that was the discovery of our core values um, and our core purpose. Um, Mm. And, you know, those values that we discovered um, about ourselves and discovery is a very intentional word there. It's not about, you know, seeing some other organization and trying to emulate their values or their sense of purpose. But the values that we discovered for ourselves were servanthood, competence and integrity. You know, and and servanthood meant for us that the starting point, whatever the relationship that we were in, was not going to be, what are you going to do for us, but what can we do for you? You know, competence simply, you know, we need to be as competent as any other service option that was out there. And if we're not, you need to be dealing with them. You know, if if you're dealing with us, when someone else can do the work better, that's bad stewardship Mm. on your part. And we don't encourage bad stewardship. And then integrity just, Simply about would you do the right thing even if no one's looking?
1: Mm.
2: Well, and then sometimes there's a fourth core value that, that we that we talk about. And and, and I, you know, if it is truly a core value of ours, then so be it. And I'm and I'm glad for that. And that's the value of courage. Mm. Uh, Maya Angelou talked about the notion that courage is the greatest of our of our virtues, that without courage you can practice other virtues. Sporadically, but you can never practice them all consistently. And so, you know, if that be one of our values, then then I'm, I'm again I'm, I'm glad for that. And I think perhaps that it, that it is. How all of that fits with me, Casper personally, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's it, certainly those are things that I suspect we would all aspire to. Probably having those virtues, those core values in front of me has been something aspirational for me. And so uh, I would never begin to think that I'm driving those values. I think those values are driving me. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful, Tom.
0: I love that, Tom. And I, every time I hear you talk about purpose and core values, I, I think about how deeply those things actually drive the organization. And I mean, we could want no more right from a leader than to really help us all live out of our deepest sense of calling and purpose and and along the lines of those core values. So I'm I'm really grateful for your leadership in that. And, And I think about this award and this work with innovative leaders and I guess what I w- want to hear from you is connect those dots for us, right? Why invest in innovative leaders in this season?
2: Well, you know, we we know that that it's a time of of, of transition for the church. It's a very liminal space that the church is in yeah. right now, and that for centuries, frankly, uh, I think Lauren Mead talked about this time of Christendom, you know, that that went on for centuries, where essentially. If you were a good citizen, you were in church, and if you were in church, you were a good citizen, or at least that was one of the ingredients that was, that was necessary to being a, a good citizen. And, you know, essentially all the church had to do, and this is an overstatement, of course, but, you know, what the church had to do was be able to open its doors and people would show up uh, and would be supportive because that was a time when people were naturally supportive of, of institutions. Uh, it was... It was Uh, habit, duty, things of that nature. Along the way, in the, I guess, in the 60s or 70s, perhaps, things changed. And all of a sudden, all of our not-for-profits, churches included, had to start proving up their value, uh, the difference that they were making, in order for people to be supportive. At that time of, of Christendom, you know, seemed to have gone away, or was, or was evaporating with, with some. And so, a, a church had to really fulfill its Christian calling. You know, those those centuries before were kind of bad training for this this current context that we're in. And so, you know, one of the one of the the big struggles. And I'm very sympathetic to, you know, to how family systems can can. You know, integrate into, you know, causing us to think that, well, this is the way that they're always supposed to be. Current context does not allow for that paradigm that existed for so long. And so we know that there are people uh, out there who desire a relationship with God, who desire a deeper sense of spirituality in their life, but who, for whatever the reason, simply are not interested in coming onto a traditional campus, for whatever the reason. Um, We also know fortunately, that there are um, that there are, are people coming into the ministry ordained or not who are interested in serving God who are interested in serving the church but in a non-traditional form being the the, the senior pastor at the First Methodist Church in the local county seat uh, is is not the notion that they have in mind and so you know what we what we seem to have is this is this um, intersection of people who are desiring a non-traditional form of, of connection with clergy leaders or non-clergy leaders who are desiring being able to create those, those connections. Right. And I think the, the the space that we found is how do we go about facilitating that intersection
1: uh, Mm. between, between those two groups. Um, Seems like a very natural place for us to be. Hearing you speak, Tom, it, 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 I'm seeing this image of map making, right? That sense that that these leaders, the folks that you're honoring with this award, kind of are, are showing us pathways into that future that we can't quite be sure of, but but we trust in the faithfulness of these particular people and others like them to show us a way. And, and I, I just see it as a very faithful response from you and the entire team behind the award to, to say yes. To these people, to say yes to to what their vision of ministry looks like, because it, it's it's actually a gift to all of us that we too can join in that work and and in that ministry. So uh, let me just say thank you for for choosing these five folks and and letting us share their story. I, I just think people are going to love hearing about them.
2: Oh, I agree. Uh, you know those those five individuals, and and there are so many others out there that we look forward to you know discovering and, and recognizing right. in the years to come they are so inspirational and, and giving them you know really f- full agency uh, or as much as we can you know to make their own choices I don't have I mean look, frankly I don't have the perspective of, of my from my years of experience to be able to do those things or to make those decisions for them of what's the best way for them to invest their award or how to go about fulfilling their ministry. But we have, and, and when we've interviewed these folks, it's just confirmed the confidence that we have that whatever we can do to provide them with the resources to go about doing their own ministry in whatever way they see do that is a, is it's a gift to them, but it's a gift to us.
0: So one of the conversations Tom that you and I have had on a number of occasions and and I I just want to revisit this because I think it's so important and I I think your voice is so important in this is the role of foundations today it, in the in the church landscape in the Methodist system but the role that foundations can play so I mean, today, but, but also into the future. Will you say a word about the, the role that you see foundations play in and why they're important?
2: Sure. Well, you know, foundations obviously have functions that are important to the church having the resources that it needs to be in ministry. Nearly all of our foundations are involved in one way or another in helping to create endowment funds that will provide funding for future ministries, and that's an important thing to do you know and some foundations make loans to help churches have you know the tangible resources and some are involved in leadership development and, you know and, and so that's that's all good but the space that foundations occupy out on the edge of the universe of the church is a really important space that that saint John wimmer you know who was with the Lilly endowment uh, before his passing introduced us to a concept that was just brilliant. I think Craig Dykstra was his colleague once upon a time that really was involved with this as well. And it was the notion of edge organizations and foundations are among our edge organizations. Edge organizations are those organizations that are of the church, but they're not in the church. Mm. They're, They're sort of, they're sort of orbiting the center of the church. And as such, they oftentimes have much more freedom, uh, more agency to be able to to go to where they see the need, the current need as being to generate conversations with whomever they want, you know. And and they, as as with the rest of us, we're seeing that conversation is such a great lever for change, uh, and it doesn't cost a lot of money to create a really good conversation, and so anybody can be involved in doing that. You've got to. You know a sturdy table and a good coffee pot and a good question you know you can generate a good conversation that can that can create change Mm. well foundations because they live out on the edge have that opportunity to to create conversations with whomever they might please around whatever the topic they might choose and there's and there's great flexibility and and great agency in, in being able to do that so Part of the beauty of all of this is that I think that the center of the church, our our judicatory offices, have have clearly begun to understand the value that the edge holds for them in the work that they do from the center and vice versa. We, you know, we need each other. Uh, We need each other to be at our very best. But the way I I believe that that the church can live into its potential at its very best is to have a very strong center uh, of the church, a very strong judicatory and traditional offices of the church, but also a very strong edge that can do those creative, imaginative things that sometimes yeah. the center just, for whatever the reason,
1: doesn't have the ability. Tom, would you tell us a little bit of the story of how TMF, as an organization, really embraced its its current mission with this centrality of purpose, and just tell us the story of of how the ideas that that shaped the, the purpose and the mission of the organization have changed over time because it, it really feels like it has changed.
2: Well, it has. And I guess one of the advantages of having been there as long as I have is that I've been able to, to view the evolution of, of TMF uh, through the years and, and that evolution has always been driven by a really good idea or a really good question. And I've, and I've got to say, true sincerity, none of these ideas have ever been mine, you know, <laughs> but they were always an idea that, that somebody, me or someone else, intersected with. And it, and it just became clear that it was the right idea for us to be following. You know, sometime before the year 2000, ran onto a guy named uh, Ken Livingstone, who was a development director with the Methodist Hospital. And he talked about uh, that he wanted his development office, which historically is about bringing money in, you know, raising money. He wanted them to be a giving organization, which seemed, you know, contradictory. You know, but he was one who had this deep belief in how opposites work together. Uh, and, that's, and it seemed to make sense. And so I came back and, and talked to our staff about us becoming, a, a first of all, a giving organization, not because it was a clever marketing strategy, but because it was the right thing to do. As it turned out, our growth that we've enjoyed through the years just, you know, exploded after we became a giving organization. Again, not because of the, the, you know, the clever marketing strategy. It was just simply the right thing for us to do. But that, you know, so that idea of Ken's about, about being a giving organization, the idea of Jim Collins in his book, uh, built to Last, about discovering your core ideology, your, your core values, your core purpose, which I would say, in my 30 years, has been the most important thing that we've done at TMF, to discover that and then to live into that as consistently as we have. Mm. Um, the ideas of, you know, what would it be like if, and, and always beware a sentence that begins with, what would it be like if, because you're about to go off on a journey when, when somebody... Throws that out there. Um, but, but what would it be like if we were to become involved in helping develop leadership skills in, in clergy? And then Gil and Alice's book on uh, holy conversations, the idea that they presented around purpose. You know, each of these have been springboards for us into the new adventure uh, that, that we would undertake. And you know, to the extent that, that I've been involved with this, as I said, these haven't been my ideas. They've been somebody else's. But, you know, I guess the ability to recognize that that right idea from, you know, from the full menu of good ideas yeah. that are out there. If there's a contribution that I've that I've made, it, it's been perhaps in helping to identify that right idea. I yeah. shudder to think of the right ideas that I've missed. along the way but you know but these are but these are are right ideas that really have propelled us and I guess the you know one of the more recent ones would have been and this came I think from one of our members of our staff when we were doing a strategic planning episode and that was when the idea came along of the fact that our our client is not really the institution of the church our Mm -hmm. client is the purpose of the church Mm -hmm. None of that is to say that we don't love the institution of the church. We love the institution deeply. But we believe that the true future of the church is to be found in fulfilling the purpose of the church and not just trying to prop up the institution of the church.
1: That's right. I, I love hearing you talk, Tom, because you're always pointing to these other folks, you know, people who are great leaders and thinkers and doers w- within the church. And so if, if I can start a campaign for a fifth, Kind of core element of of your work. It's about collaboration, you know, which is one of the themes that we've seen so strongly in uh, in all of the award winners as well. So I'm I'm so glad we've had a chance to talk, and I want to close with three rapid fire questions, which uh, as as ever are not easier to answer, but I'm going to keep you to a shorter answer, and uh, and then we'll close out with a blessing from Lisa. Does that sound right? Perfect. All right. So the first question is, what is an innovative idea or product that you've seen in your lifetime that has shaped your imagination when you think around innovation?
2: Oh, I can't quite decide if it's the, uh, if it's the innovation or, of the internet mm. or if it's the uh, introduction of the, of the iPhone. The internet provided the platform, the iPhone provided the vehicle mm. for, um, and not just calling people, but for uh, video. Think of the Arab Spring, Um, You know, think of the instances of racial injustice that have Mm. taken place, that have been captured. So, you know, is it it the fact that the Internet was there creating the platform or was it the vehicle through the iPhone that that was used Mm -hmm. uh, to help bring about change?
1: love it. What do you wish you had known when you were starting out? If you were speaking to a young Tom, just starting on his professional journey,
2: what do you wish you could tell him? Mm. Uh,
1: Humility all over
2: it. There was was a sense that I had uh, back in that day that I had to be the smartest person in the room. You know, the reality is that I pity the room where I'm the smartest person in the room. It's such a gift when you finally figure out that you don't have to be. Mm. that that smartest person you know when and and what a gift it is to others and and how you know what good stewardship it is to be able to engage others in helping them grow in their development Mm. and giving them an opportunity to to shine or to be out on the floor that's what i wish i'd
1: known more Mm. of back and then my final one which is you know one of the shifts that you and your team have made is to as you said not just think about the institution but the purpose of the institution and and that Wesleyan purpose, that Wesleyan heart really is the, the center of that. So I want to ask you, when you think about what the essence of Wesleyanism is for you, what's at the very heart?
2: It's going to the coal mines. You know, it's going to the fields. It's, it's, mm. it's about recognizing the sacred worth and value of all people, all underlined, all caps, all people. Mm-hmm. And that what God calls upon us to do is to bring hope and salvation or whatever it is that is needed, if it's a meal, if it's, you know, a word of encouragement, whatever that might be, to all people. And so, you know, that to me is, is, the, is the genius of what, of what Wesley brought about.
0: So, Tom, we want to end our time with a blessing for you. So receive this. Tom, today we give thanks to God for you. You have a way of drawing people into conversation, asking good questions, connecting ideas, and focusing attention to what and who is right in front of you. It's a gift, and it has changed more lives than you could ever know. We give thanks to God for you for believing in people and for believing in the church. We're all better for it. So today, Tom, we give thanks to God for you and we pray God's blessings on you and your sweet family. May you and Cindy feel the presence of God as you are surrounded by what makes your hearts sing and brings deep joy. And may you know with all assurance that you are cherished By the grace of God, may it be so.
2: I am surely blessed. Thank
0: you. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Mark Miller. For more information about Mark, visit his website at markamillermusic.com and find his music on YouTube. Make sure to view our show notes and website for more information about our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.